Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Christian. I'm Krishna, compulsive overeater, hundred pounder, um, rageaholic. I um, came into program uh, nine years ago. My first year was I call it my smoke and mirrors abstinence. I had a in the front pages of my original blue um, big book. I had um, blue book, <laughs> big book. I had uh, like thirty or forty food items listed um, that were all the foods I couldn't eat, and. I could tell you that didn't work for me. <laughs> um, did not work for me. It was a little. It was a little too complicated. I'm a horrible multitasker, so trying to, you know, I, I just couldn't look at that list and then every minute look at my food that I'm eating. Plus, there's a lot of unwillingness to do that because I really didn't want to be here. I didn't want to be any. I, I didn't want to be different. I wanted to be like everyone else. The only problem was when I was trying to be like everyone else, I ended up at 500 plus pounds. And um, I've lost, at this point, I've lost a little bit over 200 pounds. So I'm way down from there. <laughs> I was talking to, uh, to a fellow coming up the stairs here. And I remember very early on in my program coming to this meeting, and I came up those stairs, and I was, I couldn't catch my breath. I literally had to stop outside to catch my breath before I walked in. Because I was so ashamed that I was out of breath and that I couldn't do it. Here's some. Um, my my big boy pictures. I'm not a photo person even now. <laughs> I've never been a big picture person. And um, my the picture there is a picture I have where bless you where I have um, I'm standing next. I'm with my fiance, which will be a laugh later on. My fiance and um, next to a seven foot Christmas tree, and I actually made the Christmas tree look like it was on a diet. <laughs> it, and that was a moment. That's a picture. I remember that picture so clearly. And I was living at home at the time. I just moved back to my parents' house, and they had a house fire, and the whole house burnt down. And that, all of my big pictures, like from when I was really at my highest weight, really burned up in that fire. Um, somehow I think that's like my higher power saying, that's the past, let it go. Like, that's a very, fire's a very cleansing symbol to a lot of people, and all of was very destructive to a home. Um, but, uh, so I wish I had some of those really, really, really big pictures. But um, I think I look a little different from the pictures I have there, too. And I remember, um, going way back to the beginning, the first time I remember putting, associating food with satisfaction like that, with numbness, so I didn't have to feel everything, I was about, I think, I think I was five years old. I think I was in kindergarten. My father had taken me to a dime store. <laughs> which doesn't exist today, of course, anything like that, but um, it'd be the equivalent to a 99-cent store. <laughs> and um, he, he was, my dad was in the military. He's an, he was an active al- alcoholic and um, a teacher, so he had very little patience for me when he got home. And it, we, he took me to the store. He saw a friend of his. He's talking to his friend. And he was the type of parent who said, if I say jump, you say how high. Not if I say jump, you say, well, can I put it off for a few minutes? And apparently I was, I remember playing with a toy and he um, turned to me and called me. And I, and I think, I, you know, I'm a little five-year-old, so what would I say? I think I said, you know, 
give me a minute, or whatever a child would say. Not right now. Oh, he lost it. Um, I remember him losing it quite clearly. And um, I started crying. And, of course, at five years old, I cried really, really loud. And so all the store knew it was, something was happening. And that humiliated him even more. So he ended up coming over and picking me up, which I think that's the only time I remember him ever picking me up. He picked me up, cause, and his friend was there. And he bought me this huge lemon and cherry lollipop. The fact I remember that tells you I belong here. Um, from five years old. And I remember, I literally remember putting that lollipop in my mouth and the sweetness, and I remember something happened. Like, I remember it so clearly that I stopped crying. You could tell I was crying. I had been crying, but I stopped crying as soon as he gave me that. And I think that's the first time I made the association. It has nothing to do with him. It's the first time I made that association with this made me feel nothing. It allowed me to not feel the pain of being yelled at and emotionally abused by him in public, in front of people. And um, it kind of grew from there. I, uh, while, while I lived at home, I learned to sneak food. I learned to smooth everything out. I know I've heard this a million times, so I'm so not terminally unique. Um, but I want to believe I am. I smoothed everything out, thinking no one would notice that the peanut butter is a half inch or an inch down from the top when it's brand new. But so if I smooth it out, they won't notice. And I won't have to be ashamed. So... That was a, an interesting experience, do, having to sneak food all over my house. And my parents were never, I'm adopted, and so my parents are two people who, the most they've been overweight their whole lives is 10 pounds. And they're 82 and 92 now, and they're literally maybe 5 pounds overweight. And so they've never, they had no concept of what it meant to be in a body that doesn't necessarily lose, just keep the weight off without trying like they have. Um, I played, uh, I played football, soccer, and baseball. I attempted basketball, but I just can't do basketball. So um, I played those sports all the way through high school. Um, my dad thought they would make me masculine, make me a man, and also, um, you know, get me active. And admittedly, the physical activity did keep my weight pretty down. Like, I looked pretty... Like, I look back now, like, if you look at... When you see my pictures, there's one where I'm in a blue shirt with a white stripe. I'm freaking slim in that picture. Like, for my body size, I was in great shape, but I thought I was so fat, ugly. I mean, I couldn't have been more hideous. And I would pay money now to go back to that body. Uh, whew, like a big thing. But I realized I was so sick in the head. Like, this is not just a disease of the food. The food is, and the fat is a symptom of my emotional state. I hated myself. I had no self-esteem. I seeked self-esteem from being, like, I always would put on that, I had a smile that my friend, um, my older friends always call, oh, that's your smile, that's your million-dollar smile. You know, so I put on this smile that was so fake, and it had nothing behind it. The, you know, I look at people in this room, and so many people, people have, people, fellows in this program who are working this program and have abstinence, there's something different in our eyes. Um, there's like a, a shine. And my friends noticed that when I had a, had a year of recovery. One of my friends said, you like are glowing. It's amazing. They go, it's like you're a different person. And I was. I am a rageaholic. Um, I dabbled in alcohol. I dabbled in drugs. I dabbled quite heavily into drugs. Um, I did a lot of things, but fortunately, I was able to get through those by the grace of God somehow on my own. And food is the place where I always stayed. It's my home base. It's where I've always stayed. It's where I've always been. And um, living at home, I'm grateful I was a comp- I'm grateful I had the food when I had it at home because my father 
was um, incredibly emotionally abusive, had no idea what to do with me. He could see that I wasn't going to be that masculine, macho guy. Um, I didn't really start dating until I was almost a senior in high school. Um, and then it was all just <laughs> smoke and mirrors. Um, I, uh, and I always, I always, I giggle because I go, yeah, there are other reasons why I liked athletics. But um, <laughs> I, uh, I giggle and laugh at that because, you know, he didn't get, he always wanted that. And I, he always used to say, you're not, you're not much macho, you need to be macho, you need to be masculine. I don't know what that meant. I didn't know what that meant. Um, just being me seemed to be, should have been enough. And something he used to always say to me, because when he started realizing I was gaining weight, because right after I got out of high school, I was home for a year, because I went to community college for one year, and then I transferred out and got out to freedom. <laughs> freedom. <laughs> and he noticed I was gaining weight, because I wasn't playing all the sports. I wasn't doing everything I was doing. And he started watching me like a hawk. I mean, this is an ex-military. This is a lieutenant who, would, he knew. He knew how to watch people. And he watched me, like, everything, every minute. And so I, even when he was totally blitzed drunk, he would somehow see me and sober up real quick to say something. And I used to come home, and I'd leave my backpack in the car so I could load it up. I could go, oh, I forgot my backpack, and go get my backpack out of the car. And then walk in and go stop by the refrigerator. I'd sneak in, like this creaky little step right here. <laughs> I'd sneak in with the creaky floor in our kitchen. I learned every spot I could step on and slowly open the refrigerator door so it didn't make that whoosh sound when it opens and load it up with cheese and whatever else I thought I needed to survive the evening and put it in my backpack because he never, I, he'd never searched my backpack before. So I thought, I'm getting away with this. And I would sneak that food into my room and I'd eat everything. And I also started to learn, once I stuck that bag in, what do I do when I'm done? Because all of a sudden, like literally about a half hour after eating all that food, I'd start feeling again. And I'd Oh, I didn't want to feel. Because when I started feeling, I started hating myself. I started feeling ashamed of my behavior, ashamed of myself. Um, I'm a gay man, so I, and, it, uh, and at that age I wasn't out, but I felt ashamed of that part of me. So I knew I was different, and I didn't define it. I wasn't, uh, I was, you know, my parents are a different generation, so they raised me very differently. And I just didn't have any definitions. And I just thought, I'm a little different, and that's it. But I hated it. I hated not being like all the other guys. And um, and plus, I was the only child of color in my high, in my schools until I got to my sophomore year of high school, when they started busing in these uh, six children of color from another uh, city, and that was the first people. And you know, that was the first people I saw who weren't white around me. Um, so I always was a little. I always ostracized myself. Other people didn't do it. I ostracized myself because I felt different, and I just really wanted to be just like everyone else. And on top of that, here I am sneaking food, and I'm going, is this what normal people do? And I had no clue, so I just figured, I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to do it as long as I can. Because if I, um, if this is what's helping me to survive being home, then that's what I need to do. If it weren't for the food, I really believe I would, would have been jailed or in prison for beating my father. I'm, much, you know, I'm adopted, so he's not as big as me, not near as strong as me. And at the teenage years, I was at my height. Um, I, we had come to fists fist before, and my mom ended up having to stop it. And um, God bless her soul, she has been in the middle of it. She was in the middle of it for decades. And because um, my father and I never had a good relationship in, in that time frame. Um, in recovery, I'm blessed. I have an amazing relationship with my father now. Um, the arguing, the ener- all that negative energy is gone. I'm not a rage. I'm, 
I don't believe rage ever goes away, but we learn not to let it rule out. I've learned, we, my sponsor, we, who's we? I, um, I have learned in this program, in my recovery, to not let it run my life. You know, I got cut off three times coming here today. <laughs> and um, I wasn't in a hurry, but getting cut off is never fun. And one of them was, had like an alumni plate from my school. <laughs> Sorry, I'm at Brentwood and I have this cup. Um, and I, I, that, that rage comes right up because it's so annoying and frustrating. And then immediately, I, what do I do? I turn around and I get to say a prayer for that person. I get to say, you know what, God? Please let them get to where they're going safely and, and get everything they deserve. <laughs> my little twist, but it's not saying anything bad. <laughs> and, you know, bottom line, I know my higher power knows everything I'm thinking and saying, so me not saying something is really not fooling anyone but me. Um, after high school, I went to, um, after my junior college one year, I went to uh, up to Sacramento, to Sac State, for my undergraduate work. And um, I moved into the dorms, and I got this amazing little card. And this card basically said, you can eat as much as you want, as long as you want. And, you know, I was so anonymous at that school, no one knew me. So I, had no, I didn't have to deal with the shame and the hiding and the, oh, I'm not going to do it. And, um, uh, you know, but what I didn't realize was mom and dad are paying for that card. And that, well, my parents, I was blessed that parents were paying for my college undergraduate work. And they, um, they got a bill for how much I was eating. And, of course, my dad, being so comfortable with me eating and being overweight, um, started calling me and saying, every pound overweight that you are is a nail in your coffin. And that was, I will, I'll never forget that as long as I live. That's like this wonderful, motivating phrase that I got. It motivated me to lose weight. Um, it didn't. Um, it actually threw me in the opposite direction. I'm very rebellious. I don't like being told what to do. I don't like to have someone dictating to me. And I certainly don't like to have someone pressure me to stop doing something that I have fallen in love with. Head over heels. Love. I mean, I could marry it. I would, I would have married it. Um, if it were in it. Um, and by doing that, I just, every time I said that phrase to myself, I'd feel that anger and that rage, and I'd go, I'd go right, to the, right to the cafeteria food place and load up. Um, in college is when I really, I hit my maximum weight of 500 pounds in my junior year. Um, in my sophomore year, I, in my first, my first year at, at my undergraduate degree, I actually joined a fraternity and um, rushed and went through pledging, got in, and one of my greatest favorite activities was hanging out at the frat house. Everyone getting, letting, you know, watching everyone drink their beer, get drunk, you know, probably become future members of another program, and doing their thing so I could go into the refrigerator and I would clean them out. And they wouldn't know it. They're all drunk, laying around, not knowing what they're doing. And I would clean out that refrigerator like no one's business. I didn't need to drink. I had my drug. I, drinking has never held that great an appeal to me. And so being able to go in that refrigerator and get... And they had stuff... Oh, they had sinful stuff in there. <laughs> these, these, men were, these men were not overweight. They were small guys. They were all athletes. And so they... They had the food that I needed. That I needed that every, food that had lots of white stuff in it. Um, my abstinence, which is um, I just celebrated eight years on October fourth, is um, no white flour and no white sugar. And uh, that abstinence is so simple, 
that for going from that 30 plus list of foods which didn't work for me I realized um, also with the help of talking to a fellow in this program and hanging out and walking and exercising she looked at me one day and said you know what you need to simplify your abstinence and that's one of the miracles to me with this program is that how each one of you and all of us can be you know the, the oracle for God the voice for God like God will send that message through and you'll look at the person and go I never thought they'd say that to me but they did and when she said that, it hit me. I had like this epiphany where I realized everything I love either has white flour in it or sugar or both. And most of the time, both. And if it was five, even better. Um, so I realized that was something I needed to do. So I simplified my abstinence. Um, I had a really wonderful break with my, abs- my first abstinence that first year. Um, I, went to, I went on vacation. I went to the 2004 Olympics in Greece. And I was with my friends, and my friend Tony was like one of my best friends at the time. And he um, is an alcoholic. And we went to the, uh, the island of Mykonos. We were at dinner one night. <laughs> and he ate like a bite of his dessert. And like I couldn't comprehend that. And he pushed it away. Like, ugh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I had this cosmopolitan, and it was wretched. It, it was wretched. I took a sip, and I'm like, eh. He literally looked at me and said, how do, you, how do you do that? And I go, what do you mean? He goes, how can you push that drink away, take a sip and not, not drink it? And I go, well, let me put it this way. How can you take a bite of that dessert and not finish it? And he goes, huh. And we got really smart, and we switched. We literally switched. I finished his dessert. He finished my drink. He gave up his sobriety. I gave up my abstinence. Um, my abstinence was really smoke and mirrors. It was all a bunch of BS. So that first year was nothing. I'd get up here. I'd be able to get up here and not sweat a drop. I always say, much, this is perspiration of truth. Um, because it's the hardest thing in the world for me to talk about me. And I have so many character defects and so many flaws. And... Um, I remember my sponsor, when I got back, the first thing he said to me after I told him, and I was willing to be honest, it's a miracle that I told him I broke my abstinence and how I did it. Because I was, not, I was a liar. I was a liar, a thief, a cheat. I didn't want to, I didn't want to be, I wanted to be the rock star. You know, and that's like Farmer Ted and 16 Candles, I'm King of the Geeks, you know. Why? Um, I just want to be one of. I'm so grateful to be one of. Um, because... Uh, if I had lied about that, I would have been in relapse for Lord knows how long. I, no one would know it. Well, people would know it, but I wouldn't admit it. So it's a blessing now that um, he told me. I was at Serenity Sunday, and I, this still, this, I was still brand new. And he goes, I need you to get up in front of everyone and tell them that you broke your abstinence, that you surrendered it. And um, I don't know why, and I have no recollection of how, but I did it. And that really is where I said God must have, you know, God or my higher power must have been carrying me up there because I don't have a recollection I don't even know I can't even remember what I said I just remember getting up there and saying it and being really scared and nervous and scared that you all were going to reject me and tell me oh you know what you don't qualify anymore you need to leave you need to go out you're no longer a member that's really what I was scared of I didn't think I was going to make it and um, I admitted it and you know what I got more love where love was absent in me all of, all of my fellows gave me that love that I couldn't love couldn't give myself you guys forgave me. You forgave me. You, you said it's no big deal. Just get right back on it, though. Don't take a year. Don't take 10 years. Don't take 15 years to come back and do it right. They go, do it now. And um, I sh- 
sure enough, I had like a two-day, two-day, two-day uh, relapse, and blessedly, I got to start this uh, eight-year process of recovery. Um, when I first came down here, I was um, living in an apartment that was Inglewood adjacent. I didn't. I came from Northern California, and my job had transferred me down here, and I had no idea what Inglewood adjacent meant. Um, <laughs> And it, it, for, for a boy coming from the environment I was coming from, a boy, a man, that, that was a big change for me. Um, it was really hard. And the moving truck was late. Getting my stuff here somehow got lost between San Francisco and L.A. Hard to believe, but he got lost, so it was a delay today. And because that delay, you know, what else was I going to do? I didn't know anyone here. Lord knows I couldn't go to the movie theater that was, you know, a mile away or do anything. I found a way to log onto the internet. I did have my laptop with me, and I found a way to order food. Brand new in town. Don't know a single person. And I found a way to order all the food I needed. And I had it delivered to my, my new place. Um, a family of 12 could have lived off of what I had for probably a week. I ordered so much. And I ended up blacking out on the floor. And... Um, it was just on the floor. I just blacked out. And I woke up at, I think it was like 3 or 4 in the morning. And I was surrounded by garbage. I was surrounded by trash. Empty this, empty that. Just trash. It was all over the floor around me. I slept. I blacked out. I, I spent my evening in trash. And um, something in me just, something in me, and it was, it was my higher power, but that time I, I didn't know what, but said, this, this can't go on. This is not how I want to live my life. And so I logged on to that very laptop where I ordered all my food from. Not that the laptop's guilty of anything, <laughs> uh, except for working. Um, I loaded up. Uh, I got on. I typed in OA because I had been. I had a partner in the past who was in Al-Anon, and so I'd been exposed to the twelve steps, but not this specific program. But I just said there has to be a program out there, and I typed in like what I was doing, and somehow I ended up at OALAIG website. And I said, well, I need a meeting that's close to me because I don't know, I don't know L.A. I don't know how to get around. So, sure enough, um, there was the Westchester 100-pounders meeting. And I decided to go there. That's, and what a wonderful meeting. Oh, what a wonderful meeting. But I went there, you know, 500-plus pounds. I drove in my car angry. I was just angry. I just remember being really angry and going, this is going to be a waste of time, but I'm going to try it anyway. So I went, and I'm walking into the Methodist Church. I am not a religious person. That was something that didn't jive with me at a, at a stage before this. So I was, like, irritated it was at a church, and I'm going, oh, Lord, is this going to be some God thing, and I'm going to have to, you know, find, find Jesus and do all this crazy stuff um, and believe in things I don't believe in, blah, blah, blah. You know, when you're, when you're new, you have these angry, all that rage. I just, I had these crazy thoughts. So I walk through the courtyard, and I see this woman standing outside a room, so I figure that it's the only room lit, so it must be where I need to go. Um, and I walk up, and at this stage, until this incident happened, I never realized how little I liked to be touched at that time. She, I walked up, and she gave me a bear hug. <laughs> and she didn't let go quickly. It wasn't like a, oh, it was like, well, you all, we all know what that's like, that fellowship hug. And she, she just hugged me, and I didn't even, my arms, I think, were limp. I, I was so shocked, and I was repulsed. It's like, oh, I don't want to be touched. I don't like people touching. Because I didn't like my body, let alone why would anyone else want to touch it. And um, 
she wouldn't let go. I remember I finally put my arms around her, and she just wouldn't let go. Like, I keep on thinking, okay, let go now. And, of course, being a people pleaser, I had no desire to, I couldn't say, would you please let go of me? So she just held on. And I have to admit, I don't know what, but there was some switch that got thrown in that moment. And um, it felt like three years that she held me, but it was really probably just 30 seconds. But it felt like a long time. And I, something inside of me, like, melted a little bit. So I'll never forget it. And I see her all the time, and I always go, you're the person. You broke me down a little bit. You helped me to get in that room. Um, I sat in that room, and I remember in the car before I walked up, I had said, um, sorry, I'm, I'm a teacher, so I'm talking like uh, kids. Like, not all it's sequential. Um, I remember in the car, I, I had said, I'd known what a sponsor was, and I knew that if I was going to make this work, I probably needed one, because that's what my partner had always told me. Oh, if you do anything, you need to get a sponsor, 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 sponsor. No idea what that meant, but it was a terrifying concept to me. So I said, um, I said, okay, God, here are my requirements. has to be male, has to be gay, has to be um, at, at, at a normal weight, and they have, to, they have to know, like, they have to be able to relate to me, because if they can't relate to me, I can't work with them. Um, and, you know, no way. All about me. <laughs> I walked into the meeting after being accosted at the door. I, I wasn't. It was lovingly hugged, but at that time I thought I was accosted. Sat down in the very back chair in the corner, um, and sure enough, the meeting starts, and a gentleman introduces himself. He's at a regular weight. He's gay. He's a male, obviously, and um, told my story. He literally told my story. Like, I understood everything he said in that meeting. And um, so afterwards, I was like, that's why I'm sweating so much time now. <laughs> I was like dying after the meeting, and I was shaking. I remember that, you know, you feel that shaking, internal shaking. You're so scared. I, I don't, it's hard for me to say what I was scared of, recovery, but um, I was so scared. And I remember walking up to him after the meeting and waiting for everyone who was talking to him to leave. He's very, he's pretty well known, so um, I wish, it took a while for him to get clear. But I wasn't going to do anything with other people around. But I can't have anyone hearing me lowering myself to asking anyone else for help. Because that's what I thought. Your, 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 your pond's come if you have to ask someone for help. You should be able to do it all on your own. And um, they all walked away, and I meekly walked up to him, shaking and just fit to be tied. And I said, hi. And he goes, hi. And I go, I, go, I introduced myself. He reintroduced himself. And I go, um, I'm new. <laughs> like he didn't know. Um, really? Um, can't do that, but we do <laughs> human beings but he um, I looked at him I said would you be willing to be my sponsor and he looked at me and he goes sure call me tomorrow at 5.30 and I'm like call you for what <laughs> and he goes he goes well you need to call me every day at a set time and we'll discuss we'll discuss how your day's going we'll discuss what's going on we'll get you started in this program and I remember, I remember feeling like fear. My stomach was nodding, and I just said, I said, fine, 5.30 a.m., p.m. Just call me at 5.30 a.m. Um, a person who didn't wake up before 8. <laughs> so I, um, I did call him, and I basically was that sponsee who would say, it's 78 degrees and clear and sunny for the day. It's going to be beautiful. 
And he took that. He took that because I didn't feel anything. I, was, I didn't have any abstinence, so I wasn't feeling yet. And um, eventually he said, okay, I need you to write down all the foods that you think are a problem for you. And that ended up being that first abstinence. And um, I went through that, failed. The second abstinence, I told him I want this black and white abstinence. He goes, good, that's a good idea. Um, because I, I learned, and this is something someone said in another meeting at one point, you, um, you make your food black and white so you can live in the gray. Your food can be black and white. The rest of your life needs to be gray because gray allows you to really enjoy. It means not everything's a yes or no, zero or one. Um, and that was the freedom I needed because I was living all in the black and white. Everything was just no, all or nothing. If I didn't get my way, then it wasn't worth it. If I didn't get my way, then I'm not doing it. Um, so fast forward. All this time later, I am... Um, I'm working, I, I've been working with him for uh, nine years, eight years of abstinence. Uh, my higher power came in pretty early. I, in the beginning, my higher power was, you know, in the very beginning, before abstinence, uh, God was my enemy. I didn't like God. I, I would be up. You know, anyone who talked about God I thought was insane because he's a punishing evil thing. Why would you want him in your life? He punished me with all of this. And I, eventually I started to realize that it isn't all up to me, and that's okay to rely on... It's okay to let that go, because I'm a control freak, so I didn't want to let anything go. Now I'm able to say, I'm going to take the action, and I leave the results up to God. That has been the greatest freedom I've learned in this program, besides not having to obsess about food 24 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Living life on life's terms is not easy. I... Ugh, feeling is so hard. <laughs> I was like a little kid in my early, early absence because I was learning how to deal with my feelings for the first time ever without anything, just having to deal with them and talk them out. And that was, it's a blessing that in this time frame I'm able to pray for people, maybe with a little twist at the end, but still a prayer. And I don't hold their resentment against those people. I don't, you know, they get, you know, Tony, uh, my sponsor used to always say, they're, they're driving down the road. They don't care. They're having a great day. Why are you letting them destroy your day? And I finally get it. I finally got it. And I'm like, he's right. Why am I going to let anyone tell me my day is gonna, not going to work out? My day's bad. So today, um, I get to be 200 pounds less than I was. Today, I get to pray for others. Today, I don't ask God for anything. I just ask him, please give me the strength to have the strength of will to live your will today, whatever it may be. If it means I fall down the stairs, that's what it meant. I don't know, but I'm willing to do that. Um, I have sponsees. Uh, my sponsees are amazing. Um, I've had a lot of sponsees. Oh, I was... N- I, it was a learning curve. I think you learn as you sponsor more and more. And um, I used to be that, you do it my way or the highway sponsor in the beginning, and that did not work for a lot of people. <laughs> Blessedly, I learned to just take that deep breath and let it be, let God do His will. And I just give them advice every sacred occasion. They call me. They say, this is going on. And I go, oh, well, from my experience, I could tell you this might be a good, good direction to go in. And that's all I have to do. I'm not, their, I'm not their recovery. I'm not their higher power. I am completely imperfect. My abstinence is, my abstinence is I don't believe in perfection, so my abstinence is excellent. But um, because it's black and white, it's like there's no, if, I, if it's not excellent, 
then I'm, I'm broke my abstinence. So it's so simple, and that simplicity is, I, I translate that into my life. Um, I've done things I never thought I'd do. I've been blessed with, um, I've just graduated with my master's degree from somewhere, uh, <laughs> from USC, and um, it's a master's of arts in teaching. I wanted to teach when I got out of college with my undergraduate degree, and Lord knows it would have been so much easier to get my credential back then. Um, but, you know, God has a plan. I don't resent that. Like, I don't look at that and go, oh, it's so horrible I didn't do it then. I needed to be on the path I'm in. I needed to have the insanity. I had to be the phony. I had to be the, the, the make the big money, doing the big job. I needed all that so I could be the person I am today who's able to say, I'm happy. I'll just be blessed if I get a classroom and I can teach kids and share my passion of knowledge with them. And I do the same thing with my sponsees. I'm just grateful to have them. And I'm so grateful to be in this room because every single person in this room supports me. You help me to go that next day. I've learned to say, can I do this for 24 hours? Yes. Can I do it for another 24 hours? Yes. I don't look a year from now. I don't know where I'll be a year from now. I can't even remember where I was a year from today. I absolutely have no clue where I was. And so my sponsor reminds me constantly, live in the moment. And so I just live in the moment. I take action. Leave the rest up to God. The results are not mine. When I've taken these big tests and I've taken all, written all these papers in my master's program, I wouldn't stress because I said, you know what? I did the best I can. And whatever God's plan is for me will be better than anything I ever came up with. Christian's plan got me to 500 plus pounds, engaged to be married. <laughs> and um, in a, a world of pain and hurt, in a world of denial and hating myself and hating everyone else along with me. Because I, lo- I thought misery did deserve, misery loves company. And I wanted to make sure everyone around me was as miserable as I was. But I get to have a wonderful relationships, wonderful friends, friends who now love me for me. And if they don't love me, they like me a whole lot. For me. And, um, and I like that I don't have to do anything. I don't have to supply anything. I don't have to be their emotional support to do that. So it's a real gift to this program, and it's been a real honor. Thank you for letting me speak. Any questions? So um, the question is, how did I repair my relationship with my father, and what did I do to repair that relationship? Um, my relationship with my father came, um, I went home, it, it was, it, it's a, it was a, a slow process. It wasn't just like one visit. Hi, Dad, I'm recovered, everything's great, and I love you now. Um, no. <laughs> he, um, blessedly, he found AA, and he's been 30 years sober at, at, in this time frame. But and when I was able to when I when it came time for me to make amends for my behavior with him and for my side of it, which there was a time when I didn't think I had a side, um, I went to him and I made my amends, and he already knew what that was. So fortunately, he knew what I was doing. And over the years, the energy that that negative energy, and I think it's because I can't control him, and I realized I can't change his mind. I can't do anything to him. All I can do is take care of me, and by calming down, letting my rage go and my hatred form go that I felt, it got filled in with, you know what, he's not half bad. He's okay. And it was really me stripping away my layers of rage that allowed me to open up more and more with him. Now when we talk, there's no energy to fight. That It's just not there. And when I feel like I'm getting to that level, which he still knows how to, he installed the button, so he knows how to push them. Um, I, I know to say, you know what, Dad, I need to take a walk. I, need to, I just need to get, get away. I can't continue this conversation right now. 
But I'm going to go for a walk, and when we get back, I'm happy to come, you know, to talk about it some more. But I just need to get away. And it's that I love myself enough to say, I need to stop. Because I can feel it when it's happening. I can feel it when it's coming. So I would say I was really stripped. It, it was so much more about me adapting my behavior to, to be around him rather than expecting him to adapt to me. And that's, that recovery has allowed me to not be so self-obsessed that I think he needs to change. I need to change. And I did. I slowly just whittled away the anger and the rage. And I found I was able to just forgive him. He did the best he could. He did all he, he, did all he knew how to do. And now that getting along so well now, I've learned a lot more about his parenting, his parents, my grandparents, who I never knew, um, and how he was raised, which explained a lot. <laughs> explains a great deal. But I get it. Um, my amen- how did I work by amends? How did I work by amends, and how did I work with my sponsor? Um, I wrote out. I did my. Uh, I did. I did my fifth step with my sponsor, and he took notes while I was doing that, and he kind of outlined where he thought the amends would be, where what he heard, and um, he also outlined what he thought was my side of it. And um, he gave me that list, and he says, "Okay, what do you f- do? You agree with this listing?" And I pretty well did. And I, then he said, you need to go home and look at your amends and figure out who would it hurt more for you to say, I'm sorry, to bring up this past whatever it may be. And I had some Lulus on there. <laughs> and um, I, had, he, I made that list up, and I met with him again and showed him the list. He said, okay, it looks good. He goes, you need to go out, you need to call these people, write, call, write, or in person, see them, whatever's possible, to do your amends. And um, I went out and I, I wrote the letters. Um, I didn't write to anyone I couldn't actually go see. I went home for visits. I would make amends to my friends and um, friends and people I abused up there, um, including my mother and my father. I had a huge amends for my mom. Um, and then I uh, wrote letters. And there was only one person on my list who I couldn't get to, I couldn't figure out. And that was my, um, fi- my ex-fiance. And so she ended up by God's grace, I got a letter, and um, we talked, and we talked like three hours, and I was able to make my amends to her for using her. So that's, that's how we worked it. And it was, a, again, it seems like everything with me is a layering process. I think that's all the time we have, so thank you very much. <laughs>